Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. To find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com. The words to which I'd like to direct your attention this morning are found in Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, verses 42 through 47. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died, and summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, through the preaching of your word, may our love abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. In a couple of months, it'll be Good Friday, and on Good Friday, we remember the death of Christ. And then on the Sunday after, we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. And really, we are thinking about these things every Sunday. The essence of Christianity is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, because it's so fully reveals the character of God. Today's text focuses on the burial of Jesus, which is what happened to Jesus' body between the time of his death and resurrection. These verses center on the activity of Joseph of Arimathea, who plays an important role in the death of Christ. What role does he play? Well, the Gospels all report that Joseph of Arimathea asks Pilate for the body of Jesus. According to Matthew, Joseph owns the tomb in which Jesus is laid. According to Mark, Joseph is himself looking for the kingdom of God. Luke repeats this phrase and adds that Joseph is a good and righteous man who did not agree with the plan or action of his fellow Sanhedrin Members, Matthew and John attest that Joseph is a disciple of Jesus. And John adds, though a secret one, because of his fear of the Jewish leaders. Matthew states further that Joseph is a rich man. Each of the Gospels narrate that Joseph takes down the body of Jesus and carries it away. Simply put, Joseph's role in the death of Christ is that he arranges for the burial of Jesus. And specifically, the actions of Joseph of Arimathea include five things mentioned in verse 46. Joseph buys a linen shroud. Then he takes Jesus' body down. Then he wraps Jesus' body in the linen shroud. Then he places Jesus in the tomb. And finally, he rolls the stone against the entrance of the tomb. All of this shows us that Jesus is given an honorable burial. 
And again, it shouldn't be lost that Joseph of Arimathea is a respected member of the Jewish council who is himself looking for the kingdom of God. And so we see that Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent Jew, arranges for the burial of Jesus. And this furthers the uniqueness of Jesus' death. This shows us that while Jesus' death is sought by the Jewish leaders and insisted upon by the Jewish crowds, not every Jew is against Jesus. The burial of Jesus means at least three things for the Christian life that we'll consider this morning. First, Jesus' burial illustrates that apparent defeat becomes victory. The crucifixion teaches us that the most horrible thing that ever happened is the most wonderful thing that ever happened. The only perfect man who lived the only perfect life was captured, tortured, and executed for crimes he didn't commit. The injustice could not be higher. The loss could not be more painful. So if this sort of thing can happen, is there any hope in the world? And the answer is yes, there is hope because of what Christ's death accomplished. What did it accomplish? Well, we read of the darkness that comes over the land in verse 33. This is the moment that fixes all the dark and disastrous results of sin on Christ. Christ absorbs it all and wipes it away. And in this act of Christ, in his death, his burial, and then his resurrection, we see that death becomes life. We see that sadness becomes joy. We see that the very worst thing becomes the very best thing. And the same God who planned that the worst thing becomes the best thing is your heavenly Father. He ruled over Jesus' every moment, and he rules over your every moment. His powerful grace that transforms disaster into redemption can take your disaster and transform it into redemption. This is the character of God. This is how God operates. And so what's the lesson to be learned? Well, be careful how you make sense of your life. Be careful how you make sense of the events of the world, because what looks like disaster may lead to grace. What looks hopeless may become hopeful, and all in a way that you could never imagine. With Christ, murder and salvation happen in one moment. The gospel establishes that in this fallen world, God works within a beautiful and terrible mystery. Christ's death is beautiful and terrible. And our life in this fallen world is beautiful and terrible. And this is a mystery that science can't solve. This is a mystery that sociology can't solve. This is a mystery that psychology can't solve. We need to be constantly reminded of this mystery. We live it every day. We need to be constantly reminded that life is beautiful and terrible. But be warned. Anytime you try to make sense of the beautiful and the terrible, 
without Christ's death and, re and resurrection, whether it is art or academics or the events of your life. It fails every time. The coexistence of these two things, the coexistence of the beautiful and the terrible, only makes sense in this world when grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, first, we see that Jesus' burial illustrates that apparent defeat becomes victory. Second, Jesus' burial reveals that Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. We know from Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that the wages of sin is death. That's physical death and spiritual death. The spiritual death of Christ is seen in verse 34, when God the Father forsook God the Son. The physical death of Christ concludes with him taken off the cross and buried in a tomb. And for 2,000 years, Christian preachers have proclaimed that Jesus paid it all, and rightly so. And it's essential that we not forget this. See, one of the temptations of the Christian life is to try and earn something from God, to try and earn more acceptance or more favor or more blessing. But this is a burden that you are not intended to bear. You don't have to buy your way into God's favor. Christ pays off the whole debt. And it's not that he pays the first payment and then you pay the rest. The gospel is not a debt repayment plan. No, he pays it all. The Christian life, therefore, is debt-free forever. That's what divine grace achieves, and it blazes a path in Christ's image empowered by Christ's spirit within you. And that's why when you sin, you don't need to hide from God. You don't need to act like you didn't sin. You don't need to justify your sin before God or before others. You need to confess sin. Because confession is appealing to the finished work of Christ because the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all sin. Jesus says in John chapter 19, verse 30, it is finished. And there is a completeness to Christ's work on the cross. It is a finished work that provides the basis then for God's new work of creation. And that's what Christ's substitutionary atonement does. It forgives you of your sin and makes you right with God, yes. But that is half of the story. What is that leading toward? Well, his forgiveness and his making you right is leading towards the new creation. Adam went to the tree and brought ruin to the human race. Christ went to the tree and brought salvation to the human race, the basis for God's new work of creation. That's what it means that Jesus paid it all. And so we see, first, Jesus' burial illustrates that apparent defeat becomes victory. Second, Jesus' burial reveals that Jesus paid it all. And third, Jesus' burial establishes the structure of all culture. Jesus' burial establishes the structure of all culture. 
See, the Bible has a lot to say about burial. And there is a cultural significance to burial. There is a communal significance surrounding the deaths of biblical patriarchs. Jacob was returned to Canaan and buried. Joseph was taken by Moses and buried in Shechem, a land that became the inheritance of the children of Joseph. Joshua was buried on the border of his inheritance plot near Mount Ephraim. For the patriarchs, burial is like a title to the land of their ancestors. It signifies heirs and their fruitfulness. It conveys a covenantal progeny of the proper inheritance passed down through the generations. So burial for the patriarchs is a title of occupancy and ownership. The Hebrew word for the place of burial is also the word for dwelling. It's where your people will dwell and be fruitful. And it's also worth noting that the burials of the patriarchs are couple burials. That is, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are accompanied by their wives. Since this is a covenantal meaning, it is more than just geographical. It's talking about death in the grave. But with the burial of Christ, it's the death of sin in the grave. And likewise, Jesus is buried with his bride. Christ's death is an individual death with a collective purpose, with a collective meaning, with a culture-shaping purpose. By faith, you participate in Christ's death. The New Testament talks about this frequently. Romans chapter 6, verse 5 says that we are united with him in a death like his. Well, how so? Well, Jesus put sin and death in the grave, and by your faith in Christ, just as he mortified sin, so too do you mortify sin, so that the new man flourishes and bears fruit, living fruit, with living faith in Christ. Colossians chapter 3, verse 3 says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Well, what does that mean? Well, there is an effect in Christ's death that should be manifest in all Christians. And it's explained by the words of Romans 6, 5. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so, Christ goes to the grave with his bride. And Christ goes out of the grave with his bride. And that resurrection is the establishment of the new life for his people. A new life that's lived in a new world. And the burial of Christ has a covenantal meaning. We said that a moment ago. So your burial with Christ is not an individualistic thing. It's a communal thing. And there is a vital connection between the building of society and the meaning of the tomb. And we typically bury people to honor them and dispose of the body. But Christ told us the temple would be rebuilt. And so for Christ, burial isn't simply a practical necessity. He was prepared for burial by the woman with the perfume and then put in the tomb by Joseph of Arimathea. 
Inside the tomb is where death rests. Outside the tomb is where life goes on. When God made Adam very good, the best potential for human culture went forth. When Satan tempted Adam and Eve to sin, that potential for human culture was corrupted. When God the Father then sent His Son to die, the best fulfillment of human culture was manifested. The entire process of human culture, of Christian culture, is found in relation to the suffering servant, the conquering servant, Jesus Christ. By crossing the threshold into the tomb and then out of the tomb, we can make sense of a world where there is violence and peace. By crossing the threshold into the tomb, then out of the tomb, we can make sense of a world where there is disorder and order. We can make sense of a world where there is death and life. Jesus Christ, dead, then buried, then alive again, is the new and final cornerstone of humanity and human culture. Your hope in a better life, your hope in the better life, is non-existent without Christ's tomb. Christ entering the tomb recalls the old temple, the old life. Christ exiting the tomb builds a new one. His entering the tomb reveals the creation, fallen in sin. His exiting the tomb makes a new creation. The entire process of human culture occurs in its relation to the divine man who entered the tomb. In the tomb is the entire structure of God's world. Namely, that perfection is attained through the work of Christ where he makes the highest good out of the highest evil. All society must have this truth at the center of it. All culture must have this truth at the center of it. All art must have this truth at the center of it. And if that truth is not at the center of your society, then it's not a good society. If that truth is not at the center of your culture, then it's not a good culture. And if that truth is not at the center of your art, then it's not good art. And in this way, Christ provides the structure for all Christian culture. The existence of the beautiful and the terrible in your life is what creates the restlessness of soul. The restlessness of soul is not common since the invention of the internet. The human soul has been restless since the introduction of sin in the world. Human life is marked by seeking resolution to that spiritual turmoil. Christ exiting the tomb shows us that the Christian God is the authority we can trust. He conquers the grave. He conquers death. The tomb is an invitation to the honest struggles of discovering the type of humans we actually are. And that Christ is the key that unlocks the healing we need. And this healing points ahead to eternity. That life's ultimate resolution will not be fully realized until we rest eternally with Christ. And so Christ provides the structure for 
Christian culture and the lives that are lived together in community. The burial of Jesus reminds us that the best of human experience and the best of human culture is a beautiful and terrible mystery. Life is beautiful and terrible. Again, this is a mystery that science can't solve. This is a mystery that Darwinism can't solve. This is a mystery that critical theory can't solve. And to withdraw yourself from the gospel is to withdraw yourself from the antecedent to all good culture. Let's close by praying together. Heavenly Father, we know that we enter Christ's tomb by faith. And we know that in a real sense, the Lord's Supper, of which we are about to partake, is conducted in Jesus' tomb, which is also the Holy of Holies. Jesus is our tomb. He is the big fish that protects us as Jonah was protected. But we don't stay there. With Jesus, we come forth to build the kingdom of God. Like Jonah, we are spat out again for another week of work. Like Christ, we exit the tomb. May we go forth in the power of your spirit to live in your power this week. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com. Dot com.